I am Suzanne Legrand, and this is The Shaman's Notebook. Today, my guest is Rebecca Keating, who is a shamanic practitioner and author of The Ultimate Guide to Shamanism, a modern guide to shamanic healing, tools, and ceremony. Welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. You begin your book by talking about how shamanic practices span civilizations, continents, and countries, and can be traced back to the beginnings of humankind itself. You would think, given all of that, we would know a lot about shamanism, yet we don't. Why is that? Historically, I I do think that it was uh, more tribal, potentially. Uh, There wasn't as many teachers. And now in the modern time, there's, you know, there's shaman, there's different types of shamans that are, are really everywhere. And so it's, it's more accessible. You don't have to, you know, go to the jungle. Uh, You don't have to travel uh, more or less uh, these days. So I think it's, it's more accessible for people and there's more awareness around it these days. Mm -hmm. What exactly is shamanism? Is it a religion, a set of healing practices or, or something else? I really feel that shamanism encompasses so much. Um, it's, it's definitely not a religion. Um, it really is for me, it's, it's really about our own direct lived experience and our connection to everything around us, including energy and our connection to nature and being able to, to work with that nature, Um, It also is really about exploring our inner self and connection to our own inner knowledge, working with the elements, earth, air, wind, and fire, and really understanding uh, more about ourselves. And then, of course, there are many different types of shamans. I feel like there there are artists that are shamans there are shamans that are musicians and people who are doctors that are shamans healers medicine women medicine men people that work with plant medicines so it for me it's very open because when we are expressing our gifts a lot of that work is connected to shamanism hmm. so in your book you talk about practices such as building an altar and setting sacred space, calling forth the four directions and setting ceremony, how to work with shamanic tools and power objects, working with ancestors, and also shamanic journeying. Are these practices things that shamans and and shamanic civilizations have had in common, or is this a more recent practice that you're talking about? A lot of those practices are are very um, ancient. These are these are um, traditions that they all have in common, and that's all around the world. You know, ceremony and prayer is central to to shamanism, and uh, working with again nature and the directions. Like many cultures um, from all around the world, would call in the directions and honor the directions. Work with the cycles of nature. So uh, really, these are really um, ancient and timeless, eternal practices. How is it that you got started on this path? 
So I was, I uh, was actually a registered nurse before. And when I was in nursing school, I was still younger and I had a lot of trauma in my younger years. And I knew that I was searching for something and I went into um, a bookstore one day, the self-help section, and I picked up a book on energy and reading that book was just like my whole life started to make sense, learning about how energy works and how, you know, we store energies in our bodies, how we can become fragmented and lose soul pieces from things that have happened in our past that were traumatizing. And that was what really started my journey. And I couldn't believe that they weren't teaching this in school at all. And so as I was doing my conventional nursing training and becoming a nurse, and I worked as a nurse for about 10 years, I was pursuing shamanism. And those were the practices that really allowed me to learn about personal power and how to um, open up my voice and my heart and how to heal uh, a lot of the, the traumas that I had. So it was, it was being on that journey that allowed me to actually do what I do now, because without the healing, it never would have happened. <laughs> what do you think that shamanic practices offer that, say, more traditional Western allopathic medicine doesn't? In allopathic medicine, traditional um, work in medicine, they really don't even consider the energy body, the energy fields, the soul, the multidimensional ability of our existence. And so they're just, they have a fraction of the physical, but they're not looking at the emotional um, aspect, a lot of it, and how it's all connected into illness. So that's a really important piece that I feel was definitely missing. Could you give an example of how a shaman would approach, I don't know, some problem or that needs to be healed that would be different than say a regular doctor? Yeah. So a doctor, if say someone came in with depression, you know, they would ask some questions and, you know, they would, some doctors nowadays, you hear about ones that do make, you know, recommendations for meditation and things like that. But in general, right away, they go to pharmaceuticals right away. And they just want to mask whatever is the root cause. And what shamanism seeks to do is to get to the root cause of what the issue is that's causing the depression. Um, because, it, it's linked to some kind of emotional or mental pattern or some kind of wound or trauma that happened in the past. And it, it could also be from another lifetime and um, traditional medicine definitely doesn't look at that. <laughs> what are some of the methods that a shaman would use to get to the root of the problem? They would definitely ask questions from the person and kind of read into that person's state of mind, um, history, potentially. Um, a lot of them will, won't even maybe ask some of that. They'll just go right into a journey, a shamanic journey. And, you know, they'll use whatever tools they have for that. Sometimes it's drumming. Um, sometimes it's a rattle. Sometimes they just go into an altered state and they will look at the person's energy field. They will see if there's any 
anything leaking, maybe something attached that could be, you know, siphoning energy. And like, like what would that be? Uh, it could be an entity. It could be a thought form. Sometimes thought forms are kind of similar to entities. So um, attachments uh, and, and it, it's a real thing. I mean, there's people that say they don't exist, but they do, you know, we, we have to look at the dark stuff too. And, and that's what I love about shamanism as well is that shamanism is not afraid of the dark and they'll go into those dark places. And so, yeah, they will, you know, they will go and potentially retrieve soul pieces and bring them back for the person. And it's really whatever, whatever is, is coming up in that session that they're going to, they're going to look at and they're going to, they're going to repair, or they're going to um, bring back, retrieve something. Sometimes it's inner child work that needs to be done. Um, mother, father wounds, uh, different types of, different types of uh, traumas. And yeah, they're going to, they're going to bring that back for the person. And sometimes they'll have homework to do because, you know, if we just go back into old patterns, then uh, it, it can potentially come back as well. In some of your writing, you say that most of our belief systems are hand-me-downs from our parents, our teachers, schoolmates, and the media. Why do you think it's important for us to release some of the belief systems we inherited? particularly at this time? Yeah, because it's just, it's, it's so powerful, especially at this time, because we have been, we have been programmed, we have been manipulated. Um, we have been really indoctrinated with false history, um, false belief systems, whether that's, you know, surrounded around religion or even just what we learn in school, so much of it is, is literally programming. And then on top of that, we're bombarded with chemicals like um, Wi-Fi and all these things, fluoride um, and unhealthy diets or GMOs and all these things, they affect our mental capacity. They affect our ability to be discerning. Um, whether something is true or not. And then on top of that right now, it's all this fear, you know, it's just pumping fear constantly. And when people are in a fearful state, they just cannot make a, a, a clear a, a, a decision with clarity um, and be able to discern the truth. And we can definitely see that happening right now with the state of the world. Yeah. How would some of the practices that you mention in your book, like building an altar or calling in the four directions and creating ceremonies or working with spirit allies, how might some of these practices help to deal with some of the problems that you just mentioned? Yeah, I mean, these practices are just so powerful. And the nice thing about them is, is that they're not complicated and anyone can do them. And when we when we enter into um, a ceremonial space that we've created with an altar, um, and I even talk about the fact that your altar can be within you. You know, it's it's your sacred space that you are um, projecting out. It's it doesn't have to be um, a big altar, or it can be a small altar. Uh, but when we set up a, a space that is designated for uh, prayer and ceremony. And then when we set the sacred space where we're commanding the space around us, we're commanding only light into that space. And then we're, we're calling in 
energies that we work with, whether it's, you know, guardians or spirit animals, and uh, whether it's God or spirit, and we're calling those energies into our space. And then we're, we're saying a prayer and the, the prayer spoken is so powerful. We're commanding um, what we want. And, and that could be clearing something or getting clarity around something. And that, that space is just, is so sacred. And, and these practices are, are very, very powerful using the directions to, to anchor everything in um, anchoring below to the earth and above to source. And then, and then in that space, you're just very clear. And I teach meditations where I, I get people in that space. And then I teach them how to actually bring things into their field so they can see how the energy signatures of things feel in their body. And that's how they can discern um, whether something is true for them. What would be an example of how you could tune into the energetic signature of something? There's different ways, like, for example, when I'm reading something like, you know, say a post on social media, for me, I won't even be able to read something like it will literally look blurry <laughs> if it's not like something I, I just can't even read it. Um, but other times if I'm reading something and I, I might feel something in my body, you know, I might feel like nauseous from reading it or I'll get a headache. If it's something that resonates and aligns, I'll feel my energies expand and I'll feel my heart expand as opposed to some kind of contraction. And I do the same thing in, in meditation when I'm trying to uh, make a decision about something. Sometimes like it's just a, you know, it's a yes, but sometimes there's confusion. And so I will bring that energy into my field and I'll feel my heart open or I'll feel my stomach kind of start churning. I'll feel nauseous if it's a no. So with practice, I think that it, sometimes it takes, it's like a muscle, you got to strengthen it, but with practice, it can get easier. Um, but when we do have uh, some fragmentation or some fear, uh, then it can be harder. It can be harder because we're not as connected to what's true and what's not. Given that most of us have experienced a fair amount of trauma living in the world that we do right now, how is it possible to tune into that inner being that you're talking about. I would think there would be a lot of noise and, and perhaps difficulties of, of getting to that place where you can clearly hear or feel or trust that, that inner knowing that you have. How do you get there? So that's where like some of the practices that I talk about, like say ecstatic dance or meditation, or breath work, or, you know, drumming can be really powerful, because you can, you can do the practice, you know, for however long it is a half an hour, an hour. And, and once you have shut the mind off, and you're just fully present with your heart, and your heart's open, then you're in that space. So I do, I offer like I do ecstatic dances and meditations and breath work and different things like that. Those are the, the tools that can be used to, to help to access those states. Given that shamanism has been traditionally practiced in indigenous communities, how do you avoid cultural appropriation? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a great question. And I think that it's something that needs to be um, addressed with respect and reverence. Um, I am, I'm connected to a lot of indigenous peoples, uh, worked with a lot of indigenous peoples. And I also think there is some, some misconception about the fact that you have to be indigenous to practice shamanism because um, I don't think that ethnicity has any anything to do with with shamanism, although indigenous peoples are the the wisdom keepers of this knowledge, definitely. And and many indigenous peoples that, you know, this is this came from their traditions. Um, at the same time, anyone can have a shamanic template in their in their soul, which is which is genderless and is, you know, it doesn't have any particular um, skin color. It doesn't necessarily come from a particular um, place in the world. So I, I believe that, you know, you can have that shamanic blueprint already. And so it, but there is definitely uh, cultural appropriation that happens. And so I think it's it has to be handled appropriately, and um, as well like giving you know giving back to to the tribes and 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 uh, having respect for the elders and the ancestors, um, giving acknowledgement to to those to those first peoples who um, are the you know the gatekeepers of of the land who who take care of the land for us. And so I do have a lot of respect and reverence for Indigenous peoples. And is there something specific that you have found to make sure that your practice is aligned with other cultural practice in a respectful way? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think we're always learning. So even in this past year, I have learned so much. And even in writing this book, um, I have learned so much, uh, and we still make mistakes. You know, at one time we had a, a land acknowledgement on our website, but it wasn't written properly. And so, just learning, and and I feel like there's a lot of Indigenous peoples who are wanting to to be in solidarity and unity, and wanting to to share and teach and and share the knowledge of how we can do things respectfully. Uh, the other thing piece of that is I don't I don't share anything that I haven't been given permission so there are things that have been shared with me in the past from different tribes or um, communities that have been specifically said like you know this is for you but you don't have permission to share it so it's it's about not just taking something like for example um, the Chinupa pipe um, you can't just go buy a Chinupa pipe and start, you know, doing pipe readings and working with the pipe. It has to be given to you by a chief or um, someone in the tribe that can do that. So it's about not just taking things that, you know, don't belong to you, like Indigenous uh, art and um, like clothing and things like that. I'm always looking to uh, support wherever I can, whether that's, um, you know, if there's a specific cause 
or um, a community that has things that they want to sell. So I'm always looking to, to do that wherever I can, whether it's locally or in South America or whatever. Um, and yeah, just not taking things that we don't have permission to take. How can shamanic practices be applied to solve some of the problems that we are experiencing collectively? Even just the simple knowledge of learning about energy and our energy bodies and how to to clean our energies ourselves. We don't need to go. I mean, it's nice to have someone do it, but we can do that ourselves. So learning how to work with energy, understanding how how energy works, um, using protection in in certain situations, like, you know, if we're going out into some kind of place where there's a lot of people, if we're in a rally or something, lots of energy going around, um, using protection, clearing your energy, clearing your home, uh, doing, doing prayer. Prayer is like right now for, for, for a lot of people, they're like, what can I do? Like, you know, I'm, I'm not a speaker, I'm not a influencer, but I want to do something. And prayer is something that we can all do that sends out a, a vibration that that does shift energy so um and then keeping our hearts open is also it's it's not easy right now it's not easy um keeping our hearts open and having compassion for people that might have a different viewpoint as us because there's so much division whether it's about masks or politics or vaccines or all of it. And, and it's creating so much division. And really what's so important is for us to come together in unity. We're so much more powerful that way. And another thing in my book that I go into is shadow work. And this whole time is bringing up so much shadow in people. And so being able to uh, actually look at those, those, those parts of ourselves, because maybe our, our purpose right now is to just focus on our own healing and releasing and transmuting all that we're holding on to. And so that way, you know, we're doing our part by, by healing ourselves instead of being out there, you know, projecting on other people. Today on The Shaman's Notebook, I have been speaking to Rebecca Keating, who is the author of The Ultimate Guide to Shamanism, a modern guide to shamanic healing tools and ceremony, which has just been published. If people want to find out more about your work and also read your book, where can they go? They can go to any... Um of the, the, out, the book outlets, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, uh, the books available there. The book's also available on my website, shamansisters.com. And also my Instagram is shamansisters. They can connect, stay connected there. And my personal Instagram where I share a lot more personal stuff uh, is Rebecca's dream. Thank you so much for being on the Shaman's Notebook today. Thank you so much for having me. I am Suzanne Legrand, and this is The Shaman's Notebook. Each week, I bring you new perspectives on healing that might not only heal you, but also help heal the world. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe or leave a comment. Thanks.